Thank you for tuning in to the First Gen Hunter Podcast, the go-to resource for those seeking to establish a foundation in hunting knowledge, skills, and tactics. Well, we finally got Bill here on the show. Bill, it's so good to be talking to you again, buddy. I feel like whenever we do a podcast, um, it's just like, how did that much time pass since the last time we we uh, recorded one together? And the years are ticking by, man. Yeah. How how long has it been now? Uh, I think it's about a year, a little over a year, actually, because it was around, I think it was around Labor Day last year when we when we recorded one but yeah it's been it's been too long we need to do we need to get on the third or our second this is our third this is not we did one two years ago right yep that was the first one i think that one was in that one was right before i moved um that's right a couple years ago i think there was just a few things left in the basement when we recorded that one (laughs) in my old basement office but now the story of my life yeah, now you've uh you've just moved again. And uh where are you still uh sticking around in the DC area or are you uh moving well, west? I, I, well no, I, I am um in Virginia now. I'm south of DC by about ninety minutes. Okay. So my wife works for the FBI and she just got stationed on Quantico. Okay. So um we're we're south of DC, down ninety five. Um far enough away that we're we can, um, you know, still abscond into town if we need to, but also enjoy kind of not being in D.C. proper. Yeah, yeah. That's got to be kind of a nice feeling. Better hunting opportunities where you're at? Yes, if I could ever find time. Well, I say that. I got. I went out this morning. I don't know if you know who Taylor Chamberlain is. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. I went out this morning with him and um, shot a doe at like 35 yards and then didn't find her. So. Oh, man. Um, yeah, I, that I hate that. That is my pet peeve. And now it's happened twice to me in a row. Where I shot an elk three weeks ago that I didn't find, and then uh, someone else killed it. And then I shot this doe tonight, and um, it's just you know, it's, it's, it doesn't matter how many you've killed, you know, quickly and ethically, cleanly. When you have like back to back bad shots, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean the the elk took a step forward right as I shot it and, you know, an elk footstep, you know, it was probably 18 yeah. inches and that put it into a non-critical area and the elk ended up getting killed later. And then with this doe today, there was another doe um, near her that was blowing, must've caught my scent somehow. And she was just, the other one was just standing there and we're, we're at list only right now in Virginia. And um, so I took a shot at the one that was just kind of standing there looking at the other one and she jumped the crap out of the arrow she she must have really? dropped two feet she must have dropped two feet and um i was aiming like low lung anticipating a little bit of drop and i ended up hitting like i thought i spined her mm. but she ran off and she had the arrow sticking through her like one on each side she and didn't find any blood didn't find anything man so yeah i'm having a rough go right now yeah, you uh, you need a good pep talk here. It's I've I've been there, I, and honestly, I've said this before, and I think I've heard other guys say it too. 
if you don't have that experience, that means you're not hunting enough. I mean, it's just plain and simple. Like if you're going to be bow hunting, like, and even gun hunting, I mean, thankfully that's only happened to me once while I was gun hunting, um, years ago, I shot a, a buck twice with a muzzle loader and, um, I didn't, I, I believe I found him two years later or might, no, it might've been three years later. Um, oh, wow. it, I found his, his, uh, rack and, uh, some of his bones is, uh, but you know, with archer equipment and being a first gen hunter, like that's been a messy process, you know? And, uh, it's just, it's just tough killing deer. It is, you know, they're like, and, and I got to imagine elk. I've never hunted elk, but same deal that you just, these animals have so much will to survive, you know, and, and, uh, sometimes they do other times they just wander far enough away that where you're just never going to find them, you know? And, yep. uh, that, that happened to me last year. I shot a doe, hit her a little bit high and, uh, uh, Caleb, a guy who's on the podcast a lot with me, we we followed a blood trail till two in the morning, and uh, then it just like shut off. And then I found her while I, when I was pheasant hunting. You know what was left of her oh, is wow. just just how it goes sometimes. But gotta keep your head in the game. Maybe get out and shoot your bow a little bit just so you can regain some of that confidence and and uh, you know uh, try and get into a good headspace because that's. That's that's what gets haunted the most, you know. You just get that little brain worm in there, and it just sticks with you. So, hopefully, uh, hopefully, you bounce back quick, though, buddy. And and I'm sure you will. And you'll get you'll get more opportunities. The season's still so young yet. And um, man, if you're hunting with a guy like Taylor Chamberlain, you're definitely gonna get more opportunities. So. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things, the problems that I'm having is now I feel like I have so few opportunities. I probably don't. Well, I, I don't. I say that, but then I passed on a really good elk, where I just felt like the shot was too far. Mm-hmm. Where most people, I think, would have taken the shot. It was like 61 or 63 yards, and I just was like, I haven't practiced enough. I can't take this shot. Mm. Um, hey, that that that's saying something about your uh, character though as a hunter that's pretty that's well, a, that's a tough I, call i'll balance that by saying i think this morning i arrest a shot if if i'm being honest with myself um and you know we all have downfalls and do things we don't like to say out loud or that we but i feel like it's important to be able to do that mm-hmm. i feel like i probably rushed a shot that i otherwise wouldn't have because I feel like my opportunities are so few and far between right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to reconcile it with myself because I always feel awful whenever I don't find, recover an animal that I've shot. Like it's, it's for me, it's one of the worst things in the world because, um, not worst things in the world, but it's it's for me, it's it's one of the worst things that I regularly encounter. Right. Is, you know that I, I I not regularly, but at least you know once every two years. But now it's twice in a row where you know you take a shot and you don't get the outcome is not a quick clean death mm-hmm. um, and then you always there's a million things that you can think about yourself so yeah i mean i'm, I'm sure i'll get more oppor- i know i'll get more opportunities this year but still like you know i i was hunting in atlanta georgia last year and in one day i had three deer down um wow and and so there's a there's that high and then there's this low where now i'm one elk hunt and one white-tailed deer hunt and i'm 
coming up empty. So yeah, it is what it is. But anyway. Yeah. Well, no, I I think those are good raw, you know, reactions. I think you're right. It is important to share those, especially you know, again, when we have an audience where we do have new hunters. Um, it, it's an unfortunate part of it. It's a gut check time. Uh, I've had multiple times where uh, I had uh, not so clean kills, and I you know, I said to or you know, like just wounded a deer and it got away, you know, never probably didn't die, but suffered. And, uh, I just, I literally said out, out loud to myself, maybe I shouldn't do this anymore. You know, like maybe like, I I love doing this. This is, you know, something that I think is going to become really important to me. And it has now, of course, but maybe I shouldn't do this because like, I just can't, I can't do it cleanly and, um, got to get that voice out of your head though, you know, because, uh, uh, we need to keep pushing. We need to keep trying on the hard things. And eventually there's guys that they're just, they're just killers. I mean, when, when that pin settles on a deer, that's a, that they don't, you know, that deer is dead at that point. <laughs> yeah. I know those guys. Well, yep. Lee they, Ellis is one of those guys. Yep. Just he when, when, when he, points his bow in the direction of a deer that that is a that is it for that deer and he yeah. got there because lee ellis kills more deer probably than 99.9 percent of deer hunters out there i mean he's just it's a practice thing you know but yeah. i'm sure yeah. i'm sure lee you know could tell you some sketchy times too you know in his experience becoming who he is now and uh um you know it's just just part of it unfortunately but it's worth it. It's worth it to keep going out there. It's good for the deer herd. It's good to be hunting antlerless deer. Um, I believe uh, the National Deer Association. So uh, maybe if you're listening, you might be you might know them more as Quality Deer Management Association or QDMA or the National National Deer Alliance. Uh, like three or four years ago, they merged together and they're one thing now. So National Deer Association. They just released a uh, document or a letter or something about, you know, just how uh, there's a handful of states um, that just plain and simple are not killing enough does and it makes them vulnerable to disease in the herd and um, just a, a degraded herd health overall. And so uh, it's important that we keep getting back out there and and participating in that way and i think also it adds something to our families and our communities when uh we do continue to hunt you know it gives them something else you know like i saw something really cool with my son yesterday bill i took him out for his first tree stand hunt like i've taken him out for ground hunts quite a few times but i got him like the actual little uh kid tree harness and everything like that and uh you know we had a great time had a nice uh like little he's either a little forky or maybe a little uh uh slick six walk by at 20 yards and we saw a few other deer um that were you know off in the distance but definitely could have taken that little buck but you know i explained to him we're gonna let him go another year and maybe you can take a shot at him next year buddy and you know he thought that was so cool seeing that deer being a part of the process when i got home the next day from work which i work you know 10 hour shifts and you know that's that's a long time for a kid you know and i get home and like he's always excited to see me 
but like he ran to me yesterday when I got home from work is like our relationship, you know, got deeper because of sharing hunting with him in that way. And so I think it's important too, just that our kids see us keep going and, and they understand how difficult the process is when we take them. And, and I think it, you know, it gives them something to be proud of us for when they see us tackle challenging things, face adversity and keep pushing. Yeah. In every aspect, right? Yep, for sure. So uh, I did have on the list tonight to talk about your elk hunt a little bit. I mean, obviously it's got kind of a, uh, uh, an ending that's kind of an open book ending. Uh, you know, I'm, does, do you want to go back? I mean, was it, was the rest of the experience like good enough to make you want to go back? Oh yeah. I mean, it, it, it was, um, <clears throat> dare I say life changing. Mm. Um, how so? I, well, I'd never really done that kind of hunting before. Um, I had, you know, I'd helped do some like elk hunts in North Dakota as a kid, but I'd never done uh, obviously like a bow, you know, elk hunting in North Dakota is kind of different. You can just, you know, you know, a guy with a bunch of land, you cruise the land, you look for an elk out in the field, you get out with a rifle, you shoot the elk and that's the elk hunt. Mm. Um, not, not the kind of hunting that we were doing here, but, um, yeah, I was there with, um, Lee Ellis and with, um, Thomas, uh, Clements. Um, Tom was, uh, is the photographer and the videographer and then Lee, of course, um, or I'm sorry, Drew, Drew Carroll. Sorry. Uh, did I say Lee Ellis? Cause I meant Drew Carroll. I was yeah. thinking of Lee just cause we were talking earlier on the phone. Um, Drew Carroll, um, from seek one. And, um, it, it was, uh, you know, we went, we went out there early and I told him I originally had planned, I had originally briefed my wife. And I was going to stay there till I killed an elk. Hmm. And when I was prepping my wife for this trip, I said, I'm going to stay out there till I kill an elk. Well, the FBI spoke and said that she was going to get restationed somewhere else. So now I had a date. So it went yeah. from being out there, if need be, two, two and a half, maybe even three weeks to, because um, I really wanted, my goal was really just to get an elk hunt under my belt. And I didn't think it would become a thing where I'd want to do it again. Yeah. So that being the case, I just wanted to go until it was done. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I had enough prowess to get it done in, you know, a week or two. Yeah. But, um, so we went out there and, it, you know, it's just, it's a grind and we were doing, I was averaging between like 30 and 40,000 steps a day, which wow. for me is yeah. That's 10 a... to 20 miles, between 10 and 20 miles, somewhere in there. Yeah. Yep. 15 miles at least. Um, and we were just walking a ton. And um, first off, Drew is like one of my best friends. Him and I have just, um, he's just as good as people get. He's a solid Christian, a good That's man. Awesome. Um, you know, him and his wife are great people. That's his, awesome. He's got a new little girl named Miller um, that, that just joined us, joined the world, I should say. Um, and he's just one of my favorite people in the world. And so being able to go out with him and kind of, I'll call it hunting in fellowship. Yeah. We just like the whole thing was just, um, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't understate it by saying it was like a transcendent experience because we just got to talk about everything all day long while we're, while we're focusing on hunting all day long, Yeah. while we're um, depending on each other to do the right thing all day long, while we're, you know, out there alone and unafraid in the middle of nowhere in the mountains. And we were doing public land, you know, elk, 
in some areas where we were running into hunters every day. Um, and it was not easy. And mm-hmm. we kind of undertook it as like, Hey, we're going to separate the men from the boys here and we're going to work until we're going to outwork everyone. And I think that is, you know, out of the two weeks I was there or 10 days, I should say, I think that's really what elk hunting comes down to is you got to be willing to work. Mm-hmm. And if you're not, if you're going to do pu- at least public land hunting, if you're going to do public land elk hunting, it all comes down to, are you, have you gotten in good enough shape? Um, are you willing to walk far enough and look hard enough? And then when the time comes, are you, you know, obviously you need to be in good enough shape to where you can put a stock on. And, you know, we had three good stocks on elk in mm. the seven or eight. I don't remember how many days I was there even. Maybe it was 10, maybe it was eight. I don't remember now. I'd have to look, but it was over a week and it was less than two weeks. I'll put it that way. Um, and we, I, I, the, the, I, the, there'll be a video like Drew, um, we obviously recorded it for seek once. So there'll be a video coming out, but we were feeling kind of defeated by about, we had some good interactions with elk early. Um, and overall there was like five or six interactions. There were three where we could have taken shots. There was one where I did take a shot. And, um, we were, we were just running and gunning a lot mm. and we, we, but by, by about the third time we were getting good elk interactions, um, we were glassing from a hill and we saw them move into an area where we knew we could get to them. We put three separate stocks on them. I don't want to spoil it for people, but because the video is going to be awesome. And I encourage people when the video comes out oh, to take a nice. look, um, we, we put three separate stocks on them and it was you know, I, I do a lot of reading um, about, I like to read about, how can I put this? Um, how can I put it? I don't know how to put it. Basically, there's, there's, there's things in life that happen and you can't, how can I put this? I'm trying to think of the right way to put this, but because it, it's going to sound weird if I don't fully flesh it out. <laughs> we don't have three hours for me to fully flesh it out. But things come together in a way where you have you have to conclude the hand of God's involved. Mm, um, yeah, divine and, intervention. And, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I don't even know if it's intervention. Divine proof, I would say, is maybe the better word. Okay. Like not that God's intervening ne- necessarily, but that He's in everything. I think would be sure. a better way to put it. Of course, there's divine intervention. I'm not saying that doesn't exist. Right. But what I'm saying is, is that when you peel back the layers of things and you look at things. Um, and you remove yourself from a situation, you're just like, God was playing the whole time there. Like he was there Mm. the entire time. And you don't think, I thought about it actually once while I was in the moment and I'll just put it this way. We were putting a stock. We, we, we had an opportunity to put some stock, a stock on some elk. We made a move on the elk and right as we started to make a move, it started to rain. Um, and we made our first stock and we realized we weren't going to be able to get close enough to these elk. So then we circle and go probably a whole mile to stay out of their view. We use the topography to get out of their view and move quickly. Yeah. We basically ran a mile with all of our gear on. And we got in a second position. And as we were running, I just saw through the rain and the clouds, rainbows um, coming out. And I, ho- I think Thomas got them on video, but there were these rainbows. And I was looking at these rainbows and I was like, it's happening tonight. We are going to kill an elk tonight. This is going to happen. Yeah. I was convinced of it. And so we went to go put on this stock on these elk and 
we get into position and all of a sudden two spike bulls work into our position and we had to get down behind some logs, basically get as close to the ground as we could. And these elk were right on top of us. They were within mm. 10 feet of us. And we're just trying to stay still so that these elk will move past. And then there's a cow near us and they're right on top of us. And then it starts hailing. So now, now it's hailing while we're waiting for these elk to move past while we're laying on the ground and there's these rainbows and there's this rain and there's all of these things happening. Um, and, and I still was saying to myself, like, this is, this is, this is happening. There's an absolute, this is, I'm 100% going to kill an elk tonight. There's, there's, it's all coming together and I could just feel it. And then we put on a third stock and we got down to like this cut, um, where the, where the, we knew the, we had seen the elk previously. We glassed them in the evening or saw them somehow one evening using this cut to get to an alfalfa field that was down on private. So we cut them off at this cut before they got there. And then they started to work down. And as we got there, there was the, there was a really big bull elk that we were trying to get after that had either gotten around us or he was above us or something. And then I saw a separate elk that was probably a 300 inch or I don't know, somewhere around 300 inches. And I, I told the cameraman, I was like, I can stock that elk. And the camera guy was Thomas. I said, I can stock that elk. And he's like, I don't know, man, that's like right there. And I was like, let's just, let's go, man. Like we can do this. So we got down and made the stock to this other elk. And, and I got within, I think 50 yards, which was my maximum. Like I was confident at 50. I was, Drew has this like, um, target that's got, it looks like a big dice. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I was nailing the spots on the dice every time at 50 yards. So I felt really confident at 50 yards. Um, and I practiced plenty beforehand because we had went to an archery challenge in Utah where I really got my butt kicked and lost a ton of arrows and just didn't know what it was like to really effectively at altitude at like 10,000 feet, um, loose an arrow while you're hiking and tired. It's a different experience than Mm -hmm. just shooting arrows. You know, you want to keep your boat, you got to pay attention to how keeping the bow level and you, you know, your breathing is important and when you're tired and you know, all of the shooting fundamentals come into play. So, but at 50 yards, I felt good. So I took the shot and right as I took the shot, and you'll see it in the video, the elk takes a step forward. And if you, if you look at the elk and then you look at the ground, um, you can see once you see the arrow start going, you can see where I'm aiming. And then as the elk takes a step forward, it basically goes from hitting the elk in the kill zone to hitting it in the front of the back leg from the oh. size from the size of the step that he took. Um, and if you pause it and watch it and go back and forth in the video, you can see it play out. Do you and, think, uh, do you think he spooked? Like, do you think he heard your bow go off or something? Well, I know he heard us cause we stopped, I stopped him with the cow call. Okay. Um, because he's, he was starting to move away. There was something else going on with another bull chasing us the opposite direction that he was that he was moving he hadn't winded us or anything like that but he had started moving the opposite direction so then we cow called and as soon as i loosed the arrow he stepped and um it just hit him back and uh i just my world crumbled yeah i was just i can't believe like i said before to, to put a bow on this story like there are these things that happen in life and they it doesn't need to be nature. It can be in other aspects. 
but where things are coming together and you just feel it in the air, like there's something going on here, you mm -hmm. know? Um, and you, and I felt like, you know, something was happening here and it all just washed away and it, it was just like, Oh my gosh. And then we had, and then on top of that, you know, we keep working and like four days later we had another really solid experience and I won't tell this whole story cause I'm, Sure, people don't want to. They'll be able to see it here. Oh, this it. is this is all good, man. Say what you need but, to um, say. We got on another herd of elk, and we were ten yards away from like thirty elk or twenty-five elk. Um, and we had some cows, and we were looking at a bedded bull that I was maybe twenty yards away or something, or twenty-five yards away. Mm -hmm. And all we were doing is waiting for him to stand up. And all of a sudden, the the cameraman um, Thomas says, "I just felt wind on my neck," which meant there was a wind shift. Yeah. Our wind had been perfect. It was in our face. And as soon as he said that, like not a minute later or 30 seconds later, a ton of cows just stood up and took off. And then this other bull elk took off with them. And mm. He was massive. He was even bigger. Um, and we could see his eyes. Like when you watch the video, you can see his eyes. All we need him to do is stand up. I mean, he's right there. And then this gets worse. It gets worse. Um, Drew had moved behind us the cow call because we wanted to get this bull to stand up and he was over a bunch of cows but we just wanted to check out these cows just stand up and check out the cows that's all we needed to do so drew was like 30 or 40 yards to my back and um he's cow calling well as soon as all of these elk get up and move away two smaller elk that are still really good elk and you'll see them in the video they're probably you know 230 to 250 or something like that definitely an elk i would harvest yeah uh come in to his cow calling that we were trying to use to get the other bull to stand up. Well, then as we're doing that, the cameraman and I move to the tree and I'm just tuned up. And I think I was probably moving too much. And as Drew was trying to take a shot, they caught my movement behind this evergreen tree and both bolted. Ugh. So, I mean, and that's just a few of the stories. Like there's so many close opportunities in this video and so much work. And it, it really made me also appreciate when you watch these DIY public land elk hunts, you know, you're watching 20 minutes. That's a distillation of like two weeks of what is right, yep. essentially hard labor. Yep. Um, I mean, you are, you know, if your feet aren't prepared, you're not going to make it like you're, everything has to go into it. Your mm -hmm. feet have to be ready. You have to be, in decent enough shape. Like I lost probably about 30 pounds getting ready for this. Cause I got really fat during COVID while I was making this app. Um, I probably lost 30 pounds. I was training, you know, my feet, I'd gotten my feet ready and we were just burning boot rubber all day long. And mm. so it gave me a new appreciation for this whole thing. So all of that said, you know, and then every night kind of ended with a little miracle where, you know, Drew and, and Thomas and I would get together there'd be fellowship or we'd be talking or we would get onto some interesting subject. Um, and we would cook some food and sit in the tent or outside of the tent and eat and, um, and talk, you know, have great conversations. And then Drew had his birthday while we were out there. So oh, we got cool. to celebrate his birthday one night and, um, it was just an excellent experience. So, yeah, I mean, if he'll invite me again, I'll definitely go back or I'll probably go on my own. Yeah. Um, or it's something as my son gets older, I'll definitely want to do with him. It's just a totally different style of hunting. Um, and I really, uh, I, I am, I, I am officially an alcoholic 
<laughs> yeah, well, that's uh, that's what you want to end a trip with. You know, you don't want to be like, eh, I'm never doing that again. You know, it's, right. it's good. It's good that you you can look back at it and see those positives. And, and uh, you know, I said this after my bear hunt back in uh, spring of 22. Um, I gained, I felt like I gained 10 years of hunting experience by, by putting myself through that really challenging, uh, you know, spot and stock and huge, uh, national forests and, and, you know, just covering all this ground, looking for a needle in a haystack, you know, it, that experience, uh, just gave me so much, you know, like so many new skills but also the other skills that I've been using, it like sharpened them, deepened them, you know, just really, really grew me. Uh, did you kind of feel the same way coming out of the elk hunt? For sure. And I mean, Drew, like, I, I don't even like saying it because I feel that it does, does him a disservice. I feel like a lot of guys gave the Seek One guys a lot of stuff, crap early on mm-hmm. because they were urban deer hunters. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that was kind of like their shtick. And I don't know if I would have ever lot left urban deer hunting if I had the kind of success that both of those guys have, but sure. over the last like two or three years, they've really expanded their horizons and they're going to different places. And you see drew going out West and he just nailed an awesome pronghorn, um, right before our elk hunt. That was like an amazing pronghorn oh, yeah. huge, um, that he put a stock on and, and killed. And then he's got two elk under his belt. And he's done hunting all over the place now. And he's kind of moved to where he's probably spending half the year doing Western hunting. And then Lee as well, putting on stocks and stuff. Like they've really proven that they're not, they're not one trick ponies. Yeah. Which I knew from the beginning, which is why I wanted them with the Spartan Forge team. Like after I met them, um, I just knew these were going to be some of the first guys that I had on there because they're genuinely good people. Um, they'll give you the shirt off their back. They do a lot for their community. They're good people. Um, Drew was the, Drew was the, um, uh, he officiated my wedding. Oh, so, wow. I mean, like I, 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 you know, and that, so that kind of should sum it up for people. Yeah. Of what I think about him. And, um, and for me, it was just watching them for the last two years. Now it's just certifying something I've known for the last four years, which is, um, these are guys that would, no matter where you put them, they will figure the puzzle out and they mm-hmm. will execute and they will get it done. And I've known guys like that in the military. I've known the guys like that in the civilian sector. Uh, I've known CEOs and general officers like that. And they are those guys. They just, um, no matter, no matter where you put them, uh, they'll figure it out and they'll get it done. And I mean, some of the best hunting I've ever seen is that video of Lee's last year where he puts a stock on that Kansas buck in the middle of a field. Mm-hmm. I think it was like uh, Milo or something like, I don't remember yeah. what it was, but it's an amazing video. And so, you know, people used to give them a lot of guff about being urban hunters, but then seeing Drew out there running around and all of the stuff that he knows and li- watching his field craft and, you know, lessons that I learned as a military enlisted guy. And then as an officer, he kind of learned just from, from, being out in the woods enough time that he puts these things together and he applies them and his field craft or trade craft, whatever you want to call it, his woodsmanship, his hunter skills are at the top to where he takes a guy like me who's brand new. And we had six, seven 
good experiences with elk while I was out there on public land. And I've talked to three or four guys this year who went out. I just talked to a guy this morning who went out there for eight days and heard one elk bugle. Hmm. Um, you know, so, and then I, I, I didn't even mention my health. I didn't want to mention my elk hunt because we were hearing bugling all the time and we were on elk all the time. And it was mm-hmm. just a totally different experience from what he had. And then, you know, and other people too. So it just speaks to them as people. Um, and it's really, you know, more generally what I'm trying to do with the entire Spartan Forge crew is, you know, and, and we, I'm going to announce it in a couple of nights here on Instagram, but we just brought on, I don't know if you know who Aaron Snyder is. Oh, yeah. Um, he's been on Rogan a couple of times. He's a prolific Western hunter. We just brought him on. He's going to be on my Instagram live here on Thursday night. He's another one of those guys that just wherever you put him, yep. whatever you give him, he's going to, he'll, he'll, he'll kill a deer with a stapler if you yeah. have to. <laughs> yeah. Um, yep he'll figure it out. And, and that's the type of people, you know, good, honest, no BS people that are just trying to better themselves and the people around them all of the time are the people that I constantly try to surround myself with because Mm -hmm. I know that I'm not that guy. I'm not that good. Um, I'm not as driven as these people are, but I learn from them and I feed off of them and they inspire me to do, to be the same way. And I think that's something, you know, that everyone should try to do. Yeah. Yeah. Very well said. Very well said. And I agree. Those guys are, I mean, they just get it done. And it's funny that they face that kind of criticism. It just shows that, I mean, no matter what you do, there's going to be hate because I honestly, when I look at a guy like, like uh, Drew or Lee or uh, Taylor Chamberlain, you know, these, to me, if you're whacking deer in an urban environment, you're, <laughs> you can kill deer anywhere. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like the, yeah. the, the pressure, I mean, there's enough pressure when you're shooting, a, you know, shooting at a buck or even a doe on 500 acres of private ground, you know, and you're going to, you know, be most likely be able to do whatever you need to do to track that thing down after you shoot it. What about in somebody's, you know, quarter acre lot, you know, that they live on, you know, and, and, uh, you don't have permission to go over to the neighbors. It's got to be done now, you know, right now they get that deer has got to be on the ground. And so, um, to me, it just shows that no matter what you do, there's going to be, there's going to be some hate out there and got to try and block that out and, and, uh, support each other and not, not tear each other down on, on, uh, stuff like the stupid stuff like that. I mean, it's just, just so ridiculous, but, but yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you did that hunt, man. I think, uh, I think it's just so valuable to stretch our limits like that and you know there's there's something to be said for the guys you know i think we both probably know plenty of people especially in the whitetail world that's like nope i'm a whitetail hunter that's all i'm gonna do i might hunt several different states a year um or maybe i'll just hunt this one state but i'm gonna target one specific buck and that's gonna be my whole season that's great too um but i do think there's a lot of value to to going and trying other states and other species and man shooting a antelope with a bow that to me is about as difficult as it gets putting a stock on an antelope on something that is so good at seeing predators and stays only in terrain and around topography 
where they're going to be able to see and they can get out of there immediately. You know, and they're so a, fast. Yeah. They're yeah. So and so, they're delicious. I didn't know that. I've, I haven't I tried it yet. I really want to try it. Oh my them. goodness. I couldn't believe how good it was. It yeah. was better than any, I'm sorry to say it. It was better than any whitetail backstrap I've ever had. Wow. It was yeah. like, I, I don't know what he did with it, but I mean, we had it. He, he had just killed it a few nights before we met in, in uh, Montana and he had it in some bags in the like in plastic bag like the the back strap in some plastic bags and um he made it and i was just like this is unbelievable i can't believe how good this is it's just just like as i've i'd never had it i wouldn't expect it to be good um and it was fa- fantastic it was as good as i mean it was as it was it wow. was so good I, I can't i can't say it enough um Man, I get... We ate that three times and it was amazing. And yes, I mean, being able to put that stock on and do that, you know, it's, um, it's, it's, uh, I, I pulled my daughter just the other night, my, my youngest, um, that, and I didn't say it to her in these terms, but, but I'll say it quickly. You know, pe- the people that are worth emulating are the people that can abstract well. Mm. Um, so your mathematicians or your scientists or your, mm-hmm. um, you know, they can take a, an idea and abstract it away from its and then and then pick out the things that are important and then they apply them anywhere. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're like my wife is a she's got her master's in mathematics from mathematics from Johns Hopkins. Wow. And um, she's excellent. She's an excellent strategic thinker. Um, mm-hmm. And she can kind of take that same logic and apply it in a multitude of places. And it makes her successful across different yeah. competence hierarchies. Um, and, and, and that's kind of the, that's kind of the, um, it's like the story of Rambo or something, no matter where you drop this guy, he's going to get it done. <laughs> right. Yep. Um, that's right. And, and it, it's the same thing when you talk about, like I, I was the whitetail guy who was never going to hunt anything from what, but whitetail until a year ago. Mm. Um, I mean, I, I, for 10 years did nothing but, 10, 12 years did nothing but pursue whitetails. But um, there's a lot of value to people like those guys that we've been talking about and other people that I could mention and like my wife and other other people who, no matter what situation you put them in, they can they can abstract and, and pluck out the, the um, what's needed and what you have to do to recreate success no matter what where you are. But then also discipline yourself to stick to that and, and, and then and then trust it. Those people are extremely powerful and, and can be extremely um, – they're good in every aspect of life generally um, because they understand the process of, of successful abstraction and implementation um, of, of whatever type of cycle you want to talk about, whether it's business, it's school, it's hunting, it's life. Mm-hmm. Um, being able to say to yourself, what are the things that are common upon all these sets of interactions that I'm having? And then what can I pluck out of that and place it anywhere to make sure I'm successful? Um, and, and, and Drew does that wonderfully in the hunting realm where he kind of proved himself, I think, as a whitetail hunter and said, you know, it's time to go West young man, um, yeah. and see yeah. what I can do out there. And he did it. And now he's out there and he's uber successful. And that's, wonderful yeah yeah that is awesome and uh it's fun to see and it's neat that he's bringing you along with him i mean 
Yeah, for sure. I, when you're hunting next to somebody like that, you're just going to get better too. All the way, all the way across the board, you're going to be a better hunter. You know. Yep. So yeah, that's awesome. Well, you you talked about it a little bit, of course, um, Spartan Forge. Uh, for those of you listening in, if you've been listening for a long time, you know this, of course. Uh, Spartan Forge is the presenting sponsor of the First Gen Hunter podcast. But uh, if you're new, you may not have known that. And uh, if you don't, you should go back and listen to, I think the episodes are titled Deer Hunting with Artificial Intelligence 1 and 2. And uh, you can get a real breakdown as to uh, really the, I, I think, Bill, you would never take credit for this. I know that because it's not who you are, but I'm going to say it for you. The genius that goes that goes into building Spartan Forge and um, making it really in a class of its own for what it is, both from the mapping standpoint and from the deer behavior prediction. Um, it's, it's just unlike, I have no problem bragging about it. I really, I really, uh, can say that seriously. And I was hoping we could have Caleb and Alex on here cause they also use Spartan Forge a lot and, um, uh, they love it. And, uh, I've had a lot of other friends make, make the switch from other more expensive apps for mapping. Um, because that's another really nice thing that Bill did. Uh, is you made the mapping free. Um, just download, just download the app and you got that there. And then you click quickly see the other stuff that's worth paying for. And that's, that's no, you know, and that's very affordable as well. So did, are you uh, enjoying the latest update? Oh man. Uh, I'm planning a hunt out in, uh, this is this is knowledge for the listeners or they know this but uh caleb and i were going out to the sand hills and we're uh using spartan forge to plan the whole thing and we're sharing waypoints back and forth and i love the new layers um that lidar is just crazy man that is like you can literally see deer trails yeah uh, it's crazy yeah that is that's incredible and um i love the uh i can't remember what it's called but where like it is, it assigns a color to the like t- topographical uh, steepness or gradient. Oh, the you know? slope angle. The slope yeah, angle. slope angle. Yeah, that is super handy. Um, I've mapped out a few uh, spots that I really want to glass that are kind of almost like cliffs based on that, and uh, um, it's 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 just phenomenal what what that app has become. Uh, can you kind of give like the listeners a quick rundown on, you know, like what is the latest version of Spartan Forge, you know, everything that it's capable of, maybe highlight the key features and, and that kind of thing? Sure. Uh, first, I'll respond to your earliest part in, which is, I wouldn't say it's the my genius of the app. I would say the one thing I am good at or that I, I take credit for is recognizing good people mm. or 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 surrounding myself with good people has always been like whether it was as a military enlisted guy as a young sergeant or as an officer who is building much larger units um you know if i was as a you know as a company commander or when i was a platoon leader is finding the right and recruiting the right people um for the job i would really say is my strength mm. i'm not particularly talented in any domain um, i spent more time in domains which make that gives me the appearance of appearance of being talented, but really it's just spending time in a competence domain. Um, and, and so, but what I can do is I'll I'll learn enough to be 
somewhat deadly in a lot of these places and then go and find people that are truly deadly in these areas um, and then, you know, hopefully bring them on and then and then inspire them to be part of a team. So I would say that's my that's what I bring to the fight. And that's what I've kind of done with Spartan Forge is I'm not a great programmer. I've never been a great developer. Um, I've never been you know, great at user interaction or user interface or user experience. Um, but I go and find, I know enough about all of those things that I can go find the people who are the best at it hmm. and then give them clear lines of engagement and say, this is the problem to tackle. This is what I need to tackle. And so from a Spartan force perspective, I think that's really what we've been trying to do here. And we're a relatively small company, but you know, as it stands today, as we podcast today, um, the, the application is kind of built around mapping. But that's only because mapping is how the market has kind of been set up. Sure. Most people, most apps are built around mapping because it's kind of the first thing that people understand. Mm -hmm. um, it's not necessarily what I try to build the app around. Like if you look at the application itself, you'll see at front and center in the bottom is our Intel tab, which is mm -hmm. where our artificial intelligence is. It's where the weather is. It's where the... Um, it's where the uh, breakdown of state by state hunting deer um, herd data is. It's where our historical weather is, the historical wind. Um, it's it's all of that other stuff that I think is far more important than mapping. Mapping's great, and don't get me wrong. Obviously, I spent a lot of time and capital on building this lidar layer, so I recognize that that is a hugely valuable tool. Um, but it's way more difficult to go out and see what the historical wind is for an area for the past six years, and then lash that up with movement or generate movement predictions based on that. So that's kind of what is central to the application. But now what we have is we have that, that, that AI and we're actually coming out with a couple of more AIs this year. Um, you had mentioned about, I'll talk about it later, but you had mentioned about um, glassing areas. We're going to be doing some cool stuff with, um, with, with ViewShed and with um, solar flux data, which is useful for late season hunting. Um, and, and as I said, stuff with AI, but as the app stands today, it's um, it's a planning application that um, I am centering or building around isolating every variable involved with the <laughs> planning, scouting, um, and execution, and then post-execution phases of the hunt and trying to distill all of those pieces of information into one application um, so that people, it's not to replace scouting. And I've probably said this to you or on your show before, mm -hmm. and I yep. do this ad nauseum. It's not to replace scouting. It's to make scouting smarter. Mm -hmm. um, you could think of it as, you know, um, you know, someone says, you know, I, I used an Atlas before, but now I use Google maps. Yeah. I'm just trying to make you faster, but but I'm not replacing the knowledge that you need. So people like yourself, family men that want to spend time with their families, that love their wives, want to be around their kids. You know, for the other guys who don't do those things, they can go out and be in the field as much <laughs> right. as they want. Right. But um, for guys like us that want, that want to spend time around family, but also want to go out and hunt and still be successful, I'm trying to distill and isolate all of the variable analysis that goes into a planning a successful hunt. Mm -hmm. And I do that by first my own experience, but then secondly, by the pro staff and, and what they use when they're planning things. Um, that to me 
is kind of the essence of the application. So, um, you know, I just did a podcast a couple of weeks ago with Eric Clark, the Where to Hunt podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've had a few guys reach out to me and say, man, there's features that you talked about inside of the app, like the historical wind stuff. I didn't even know it was in there or like the browse data where it shows you, you know, state by state, what types of plants are eaten at what parts of the season by deer. People don't even know that's in the app and it's not Mm. until they hear me talk about it um, that they go in there like, well, I've never seen that. So I need to go figure that out. So it's all in there. But what, what, how I tried to build the app was if you just want to use it prima facie for mapping, we're going to offer you the best maps or I'm going to try to offer you the best maps. And then our next update, I believe we already have the best maps and I believe I can make that argument, but I believe after the next update, it won't be a question. Um, we'll offer seven year historical imagery at one meter resolution for all of the U S. Mm. Wow. Um, but for now we've got 10, 15 centimeter for about half the U S and the other half were somewhere between one and three meter. And then, so, what we'll do in this next update was we'll kind of rectify that by offering historical and one meter for almost all of the U S um, along with a lot more high resolution LIDAR right now, we're about 68, 69%, but we're going to go above that here pretty soon, cover more Western States. Um, but then from there, if you poke around in the application, you can go down a lot of rabbit holes on understanding things about deer population, deer herds, quality deer management, buck to doe ratios, browsing, historical wind data, hour by hour wind data, artificial intelligence on tracking deer herds or predicting deer herd movement. Um, You can do all of that. And then later in the year, um, we're going to be releasing some AIs um, that no one has even thought were possible. Mm. Um, That, you know, what I had to do was my plan was to release these even like a few years ago, but my plan was to partner with other companies to do it. I didn't want to build the mapping and long story short, I couldn't come to agreements with these companies. And so I just said, I'll do the mapping myself. Like the mapping's not the hard part. The hard part's the AI. So we're going to be putting out some AIs here in the next six months, hopefully starting in December with our first one. And I think it's really going to shake the whole industry. I think it's going to rework. And I'm not being hyperbolic. I think this next AI feature that we release, and I, I can't talk too much about it, but, um, it's, I think it will change the way we scout. And it will change wow. the way that we um, plan and execute hunts. Um, and so, you know, people can hold my, hopefully the next time we're on, we're talking about it. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, it's, it's something else. I'll, I'm happy to talk to you about it afterwards. I don't want to give away too much right now, but then sure. there's other things that we're doing as well, but we're trying to build them into an app in the way where if you just want to use it to lay points on the ground and you're just going to go hunt your back 40 and do your thing and just, you don't care about, all of those other esoteric things I just talked about, then just drop your pins and do your hunts. And I hope that the thirty nine ninety nine is a good price for you and that you're getting oh, what yeah. you want out of it or it's the free app or whatever. But then if you really want to go deep, you can do that as well. And with these other features that we're coming out with, you're going to be able to go so deep. You can't, you wouldn't even have thought it was possible um, until this, these new features come out. So oh, um, that's awesome. But we're, but where we're at today is uh, that LIDAR layer, that 50% high-resolution imagery, the historical wind, the hour-by-hour forecasts, um, the um, high-resolution LIDAR that we talked about, the high-resolution imagery, three other mapping layers, a topo layer with adjustable topo contour lines, um, journal functioning, 
a, con a, a construct called Blue Force Tracker where you can drop pins with buddies in the same geometry in the next update. You'll be able to share live location and you'll be able to have chat um, interactions in each one of those um, Blue Force teams um, that are central to the, the geometry that you draw on the map. Mm. Um, and then there's, um, you know, more stuff coming after that into scouting season that I, I'm really excited about. So anyway, that's kind of where we are right now. And um, I'm sure that by the time you drop this, you know, we just put out um, timber stuff the other day. Um, and uh, we have this new chip system that I'm really excited about. You know, when you're using other applications, you, you've got a lot of clicks. You've got a lot of friction between loading a layer Finding yeah. the state the layer is in, identifying what the name of the layer is in that state, and then loading it or paying for it. And by the time you're done with it, you've got 20 clicks. You know, in our mm-hmm. in our UI right now, it's three clicks. Yeah. Um, you click the gear, you click the layer, and you click the X. Yep. And you've got it. So you know that's one of the things I try to pride myself on is simple UI. But then sometimes as a product manager, manager, I don't think about it. Um, that people have been trained on other user interfaces that make retraining very difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that's I've been point. trying to think about um, because there were no other options seven years ago. There was just OnX, right? Mm-hmm. Eight years ago, that was yep. it. Um, and so OnX, I think, is really awful user interface design. Um, and you know, if you don't, if you say you want to go on a hunt in Nebraska. Mm-hmm. If you don't pay for Nebraska, you have to go pay for Nebraska. Yep. And then you have to go locate the Nebraska. Yep. The map library. layers. And then there's usually. And then you're looking through the map layers. Then you find yep. the date, that map layer that you want. And then you build it on the map. And then by the time you get done with it, you're at like 20 clicks. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really poor UI design. And, and I'm not criticizing them. They were the first and they're still the best, at least from size and, and usage. Um, I seek to change that. But, um, mm. you know, we have a really strict, simple and streamlined user interface that I think makes all of this a lot easier. And it's it's a it's it's the way it is. So um, hopefully we continue to make it better and better. And, you know, if people that listen to your podcast have suggestions or things they don't like. Um, I I I manage the um, the customer interaction on, in every phase and in every aspect because I'm the chief product owner still, even though I'm the CEO and I'm the president, I'm still, um, I'm still, I spend about two or three hours a day doing customer interaction. That's awesome. Um, And I think that's important just because um, I want to let a, the hunter know that I take their problems and their concerns seriously. And that's why I'm the one who's doing it. I'm not hiring someone from out of country, which is how my competition does it or, or, you know, a slow ticket system where you have to wait two months to hear back from. If mm-hmm. you're even lucky to hear back, if someone's yeah. going to pick up a phone and type and tell me a problem or tell my company a problem they have with the app, they're going to hear back from the guys in charge of the ship. Yeah. Um, I like and, that. and that's something I really work hard to do. And I spend a lot of time doing that. Um, so, and that's going to be the way it is as long as I'm in charge. Um, so I'm going to keep that going. So if people have suggestions, questions, comments, whatever, they want to just shoot the crap, I'm, I'm, I respond to trouble tickets and I respond to the social media posts and yeah. the social media interactions. 
Yeah, that's awesome. And that's, uh, that's, that empowers your users, which how many products can you say empower their users? You know what I mean? Like they, they accommodate to them, but do they empower them? Like give them an actual chance to help, uh, build the product. And that's, that's, that's pretty cool. So I've been a user of Spartan Forge ever since it came out. I love it. It's my favorite hunting app. And there, that might seem kind of like, well, yeah, how many, Believe me, there's a million hunting apps out there. I have friends that use uh, competing apps, and it, it just feels so good to like pull out Spartan Forge and be like, "Oh yeah, uh, I." You can do all that for for either for what you're doing there. You can do that for free with Spartan Forge for one, but right. also you have all of this stuff that that comes for a very affordable price, and and the the prices there are if you go with your long subscription, which is what I do and what I recommend everyone else does. Caleb does it. Alex does it. Um, it's only thirty nine ninety nine. Uh, the competing price. And that's, that's every state, right? And, yep. and the competing price is, uh, to get all 50 states, it's going to cost you a hundred dollars. Yep. And, um, I'm not sure there's, there's even other, uh, is base map. Are they still doing one? They are, but I mean, their data is pretty, old i don't know if they're as actively updating it now as they were before i don't know i'm not sure what's going on there sure and then there's of course hunt stand they've been around for a while too um and you know we're not here to just knock other companies but but uh but there's nothing out there that's as good of a value as spartan force it's just plain and simple and then of course like bill said you can talk to the man himself and uh and let him know what you think and and uh I, i just the other part of it is seeing how Spartan Forge, which, which when he, when it launched, it was already a great product, but it's grown so much since then. Like it's a totally different thing since, since, uh, that first, that first, uh, what was it? What it was called beta, right? Yeah. Yeah. It, yep. And, and, uh, since then it's just grown and grown and grown. And, uh, uh I use it all of the time, uh, almost every day I'm on Spartan Forge really. And actually, you know, it's kind of cool, Bill. I, I don't think I told you this yet. I use it a lot for work. I go around and I do, uh, like, um, like consultation work for people who want, uh, sometimes it's like a hunting property. They want to, you know, improve their habitat quality on their property. Other times it's just people want to, uh, maybe, um, add some, uh, native grasses and flowers for, you know, pollinator plots and so forth. And I, I have to make these, uh, property plans for them. And I use Spartan Forge to put it all together. I can map out the, um, area on the map, you know, find the, the number of acres for a certain area where they want something or, or, you know, go on down the list, show them property boundaries. And, uh, it's super, super handy for that. And I do that actually on the desktop model, which I really like using too. So don't just think it's something you can uh, just benefit from on your phone. You can also like uh, went this Nebraska hunt that Caleb and I are planning. Um, uh, we, we do that all on mostly on the computer version, the desktop version, which is just so handy. Cause then we have like this other separate document that we have pulled up that we share and we type down information, certain places we want to check out and uh, list all of our glassing points, everything. It's it's just it's it's phenomenal. 
uh, and it just really makes our scouting that much better. So definitely get in with that. Remember, Spartan Forge is the the presenting sponsor, and uh, there's there. I also want to work in there, Bill. There's more species coming right in the future. That was that was the kind of plan. Still in the imagine the radio collar data gathering phase. That's that's a long time. By the way, how many years? I always like to throw this out there too when I when I run ads every episode. Um, how many years of uh, whitetail collar data are you guys up to now? We're in excess of two thousand, but wow. we're running we're running the AI. I think right now with like fifteen or sixteen hundred years. Wow, that's in- <laughs> that's incredible. That, yeah. that's just that's just so so. Uh, so powerful when you have that much data to to cipher through and and, and i've found it to be spooky accurate um and you said this from the beginning it's not going to be 100 percent. nothing can be 100 percent. we're dealing with wild animals that make decisions based on both seen and unseen variables um but for the most part it is it is uh very accurate and like you said it's great for people who are busy um i think a lot of times as i say this in regards to another sponsor that I have, which is East to West Hunts, Alex uh, Gruen. Of course, the listeners know him. Um, a lot of times people think, oh, I don't need a hunt plan. Or maybe they would look at Spartan Forge and be like, oh, I don't need an app telling me when, when I should hunt. If I'm going to be a good enough hunter, I should be able to just go out there and figure it out like Native Americans did for thousands of years or Daniel Boone or Davy Crockett or any of the mountain men, right? But the reality is those people, as great hunters as they were, I don't want to take that away from them, their time and the constraints of hunting seasons and hunting hours and that did not – and the, just the number of animals to target at that time, that did not exist. Those constraints did not exist that do now, and you have to be incredibly efficient. You know, uh, Bill, reflect on something that I think all of us hunters can relate to when you were talking about um, your hunt that you had today. You felt that rush because you're like, man, I don't know how many, how much more of this I'm going to get to do this year. And that's, that's real. I mean, I would say that's probably reason number one, a lot of people end up rushing a shot is because they feel like, oh no, it's going to get away. Oh no, it's going to, you know, this is probably as good as it's going to get. I got to go now, 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 now. Well, you, we, we feel that because it's kind of true, you know, like we don't have forever to to hunt. And so you got to make that the most of that time. And so, uh, Spartan Forge just helps you do that. And uh, it, it's very effective. So definitely, definitely use it. But also I echo what, what Bill said. It's That's like your number two part of a good scouting thing, uh, getting out there and putting your boots on the dirt and, uh, you know, get, look, taking a look around and being there in first person is, is of course, the most important thing. So uh, you can't replace good hunting. You can just uh, improve it. You can help it. You can aid it and assist it. That's what, that's what Spartan Forge is there to do. So Bill, I wish we could talk forever, man. I just always enjoy, uh, hanging out with you and, and, uh, my brother's living in your area now. Um, and I'm, I'm planning to, yeah, I'm planning to, uh, uh, yeah, we can talk about that after the, the, uh, show's over, but planning to go see him maybe this coming spring. So maybe I'll, uh, Please come by. Yes, I'd love to stop by and and see you. But uh, 
if you're listening, don't forget, um, of course, Spartan Forge is a presenting sponsor. Get on board with that. Again, the prices for that are $39.99 for a year long. Gets you everywhere. You can use Spartan Forge everywhere in the United States. And then um, if you're wanting to just be a monthly user, that's fine too. $7.99. Very affordable. And uh, you get you get so much value for that. So uh, check that out. And by the way, everything got super expensive, you may have noticed, especially if you have kids. Like, you know, since we came out of COVID, it's ridiculous how expensive everything is. The price of Spartan Forge has not changed. <laughs> it it is it is here for the working man, for the family guy. You you got it. it. It's it's uh it's it, it just shows you the kind of person Bill is. So take advantage of that. Um, you can find a link in the show notes, or if you go to my uh, link tree on my uh, Instagram bio, it'll be one of the top links there. Uh, click on that and uh, go to the website and get yourself going with Spartan Forge. And uh, you can also uh, go to uh, two of my other sponsors we have on the show, Alex Gruen from East West Hunts. I uh, just had a really interesting client uh, sign up with him the other day, and it just shows I say it that way, like like it's really cool who uh, who jumped on with him. That's all I'll say. Um, but it shows the kind of people that Alex is uh, proving himself to. He plans great hunts. You heard the success story from um, Jarrett Parsons, who arrowed a beautiful 185 inch muley a few weeks wow. ago down in Colorado. Wow! Um, yeah, just just an, an incredible hunt plan put together by Alex. And there's so many more stories like that. And people are seeing it. They're taking notice and they're getting on board. You can too go to eastwesthunts.com and uh, schedule a free consultation with Alex. If he thinks he's not what you need, he's going to tell you that and he's not going to take your money. Um, he, he only wants to be here to help you. So uh, you can uh, sign up for any service with him. You do gear rentals, you can do tag applications, He'll wade through all of it, explain it all to you, send you the workout plans. He'll he'll do it all. You can go to eastwesthunts.com and uh, tell them that this podcast sent you, and you'll save yourself 10% off of uh, anything you book with Alex. And then once you get a trophy on the ground, you scouted it with Spartan Forge, you got your hunt planned with Alex, now you got a trophy that you need taken care of. Go to Old Barn Taxidermy. That's where I take all of my taxidermy work, and they just do beautiful work. I have on the wall behind me uh, two deer that I've taken to Old Barn and down proudly displayed in my living room. That's how good they look. My wife let me put up two shoulder mounts in the living room, all both done by Old Barn Taxidermy. It is true artwork that they do there. That's high praise. That's right. That's right. And uh, much like Bill uh sam gaylord the uh owner and i need to get i need to get sam and colton on at some point but he he told me he's like i know what the national average is for for shoulder mounts on deer it's like 900 bucks he said or a thousand bucks and he said i charge 695 because i have guys that come in here that make 18 bucks an hour and how can i how can i justify uh making them pay that much for their trophy and uh, that's the kind of guy you're working with if you go to Old Barn Taxidermy. He's, he is a friend of the common man, and he gives you world-class work when you leave. It doesn't leave unless Sam, who's been doing this for almost 40 years, 
takes takes a look at it and says, yep, it's ready to leave the shop. And it goes in the showroom. It sits on the wall. So everyone else who comes in to get gets uh, pick up their taxidermy work, they get to see yours and, and you get to show it off a little bit that way, which is really cool. And uh, it's just a whole experience going there. My dad and I make it a tradition. Uh, when I have something to pick up there, we go down together and it's just uh, you know, a full day of just a lot of fun all centered around uh, the animal and uh, the mighty white-tailed deer that we all love. And uh, you can go get that work done yourself. You can find a link in the show notes and uh, get yourself lined up to go see Sam and Colton and get your work done. Be sure you tell them I sent you. Tell them you heard about them on the First Gen Hunter podcast. Well, until next time, everyone, thank you so much, Bill, for jumping on tonight. I know you're super busy. You're in the middle of a move. Um, and thank you so much to listeners for giving up some of your valuable time to tune in and listen to this podcast. Hopefully you drew some encouragement and some just like, uh, I don't know, some inspiration to get out and chase after challenging things. I, I think just the, isn't there a book that was written? It's called like do hard things like that should be part of everyone's life motto embrace embrace those challenging things do the things that stretch you make you grow a little bit and you'll never regret that you did but thank you so much for tuning in everyone until next time take care and take someone hunting